0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: Welcome to the Sets for Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders lead and navigate through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Dr. Eric Mason. Eric's the founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the founder and president of Thriving, an urban resource organization committed to developing leaders for ministry in the urban context. Eric's also the author of several books, including Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. But before we talk with Eric, I want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, make sure you leave us a review. Now let's go to editor and uh, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the (laughs) dean. Oh, your whole new title is messing me up. The dean of Talbot Seminary at Stetzer
2: that is true that. that is true hey and I love how you called Philadelphia Philadelphia in that it was very it was very uh, you tell you're from Detroit you know you know Philadelphia is not your place um but yes and, and this is the first podcast where actually I we did the introduction that I am the Dean of another place I am the Dean at uh, Talbot Seminary still um not officially moved I uh, start in July 1. So I guess right now I'm still the executive director of the Wheaton College, Billy Graham Center and Vina Wheaton College, but there is a transition afoot. And uh, so that's now official. Well, it's, it's podcast official. Is it like once it's podcast official, I guess it's official. So, but today we have my friend, like I've known Eric Mason for a long time. We were almost both young when we, when we first met each other. And almost, go, that's a, almost. Almost. That's a long time ago. <laughs> we were both, <laughs> both young. <laughs> and Eric's been a friend for a long time. And um, gosh, I still remember you going there to Philly and philadelphia or philly you got to pick one or the other there daniel one or the other um and so and, and so we've been t- we, we, we've actually i've had you on the radio show to talk some about this sometimes i'll reference the radio show those you know Ed Stetzer live uh, is on moody radio Network and affiliates and i really like this for this audience so this is pastors and church leaders and you're not and not every pastor is going to be in an urban context not every pastor is going to be uh engaging in some of the contexts that um that you write about but i think it's important for us to know the issues that are at work here and so yeah so again the the book that we're going partic- to particularly focusing on is called urban apologetics restoring black dignity with the gospel and yeah, and so let's just kind of just weigh in a little bit this and start with uh if you wouldn't mind telling us a little about your context where you yeah. are and then what how's it different in urban context from doing ministry
0: in other contexts yeah. So <clears throat> thanks for having me on. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, my context is is a complex urban context in that it's superlatively transient now. It didn't used to be as transient, but it, it is superlatively transient now. So with two blocks from Temple University, average income of long-term residents here is between 15 and 25,000 per household. Um, but then you have gentrification that's happening south of here. So it's it it's it's a really, really complex <clears throat> urban context. And so you have you you know it's pretty much fifty percent black in the community, but um thank you, but um it it is basically um other percentages, college students and other. So when you when you deal with those type of complexities with different people groups, you deal with a lot of different complex issues in a city. So our churches, because our church is transient our neighborhood is transient our church is more regional now than a community church even though we do community things for people in the community um which is something which is an adjustment um you have to make urban is no longer a geographical term though um, because of the internet um the internet has transported in my estimation urban culture globally and so i believe the internet is urban you know when you when you define urban you know the the census bureau defines it by 1000 people per square mile you know so that's that's fundamentally how it's defined so um but uh, urban because culture is so transportable now um everybody is dealing with urban issues so yeah
2: okay so talk to me a little bit about um uh specifically the article the the book Excuse me. the book is written towards an urban context you with a specific connection to african american community as well so yeah. uh, what are the cultural arguments that you're responding to you know, because there are different arguments in different communities. I, I just, I'm just i doing mm-hmm. this Bible study series out here at uh, Mariner's Church, where I'm uh, serving as a uh, scholar in residence. And I just went through what I called five watchful dragons using C.S. Lewis's idea. There are certain things that in, in this community that, that the watchful dragon sort of block the truth getting through. Uh, Tim Keller talks about defeater beliefs. And you talk about cultural arguments against Christianity in the black community. What would those
0: be? Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so fundamentally, um, there has been a strong job done on the black community to say that Christianity is the white man's religion. I mean, that's a that's fundamental to um a lot of people in the black community. That started with the nation of Islam, really uh, Noble Jirali League with the more science temple who trained some of the leaders in the nation of Islam. And the book talks about that. And so that, that issue is connected with um the issues that uh will pass down through. Uh, slavery, uh, uh, Black codes, Jim Crow, and systemic racism. And so in the Black community, we're not talking about the gap theory and arguing about the gap theory and, you know, um, the Jesus Seminar, you know, back when they had emerging, emergent church and all of that. Like that, those were never issues in the Black community. Fundamentally in the Black community, one of the main issues is the issue of dignity restoration. And somebody will ask, well, what do you mean dignity restoration? Well, of course, through slavery, you know, Chatel slavery, um, it affected our dignity with the way we were treated, being saying that we were three-fifths of a man. We were used to breed. We were bucked by white men. And so um, families were broken up and then let out of slavery with no counseling, no economic plan kind of thing. You had Black coals really was a way to reestablish uh, slavery from a systemic way. And then you had Jim Crow and then you have what we have now. And so though, like when, when like evangelicalism in the West doesn't understand that when it denies systemic racism, it literally makes it difficult for black Christians to evangelize. Um, because there's no black person that I know that, that would say, let, let you a few black people that really don't identify with black people. Um, that will ever say that ra- there's not systemic racism. So when 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 we when you're on a tweet when somebody's on a tweet rant saying, "Well, systemic racism doesn't exist," and they don't even realize that they're making obstacles for the gospel for us because it makes us look silly. So why would you be a part of a religion where people will be racist towards you in this country, but then deny it's happening? They it, it says it's the worst form of abuse. And so you know everything from white Jesus, you know. Um, everything you know if you look at most scholarly commentaries you put out any scholarly commentary every every one that has the picture on it has you know uh the Apostles and every Bible character looking like you know even e- e- Egyptians and, and Ethiopians at the time looking like you know a European uh medieval type person in garb from uh 2000 years ago and so it, it's a, it's a lot of issues to work through but fundamentally black dignity black dignity, it, and, and Christianity being a white man's religion is the fundamental issue that we deal with.
2: Interesting. And I mean, you went through a lot of things fast there. You're, you're just, you're a remarkable communicator and, and you bring those things quickly. So, so you talked about the depictions. I mean, I'm guessing not so much in commentaries, but in like, in like children's books and things of that sort. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you talk about depictions of Jesus. You talked about the denial of systemic racism and more. So, cause I, cause again, this is, you know, again, right now we're in a very challenging cultural moment when it comes to how people are talking about race, you know, CRT is is brought up regularly and of course systemic yeah. racism. Yeah. I mean, I believe in systemic racism long before I'd ever heard of what CRT was, but now it's kind of, let's, let's put all that together in one Category to people. So yeah. um, so how then does the denial of those things in the same Christian community that, that you like you are? You know, we're we're kind of in the same Christian community where I don't know if you use the word evangelical to describe yourself. Um, many African-American churches don't, but where we, we have similar beliefs, you know, I have a theological background that's got a lot of connection between the two. So what would you want, you know, pastors and church leaders, our audience, are predominantly going to be white, just because the, the numbers add up that way? What would you want them to do? Uh, to speak into their community to be more effective in uh, in building and helping you build bridges in your community. Is that, does that question make sense? Am I wording that all right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, of course, I wrote it in my book, World Church, but one of the things I had like three or four A's that I would go through I, first off is be aware. And what I mean by me being aware, you know, we're not told history well in America. Um, uh, American history is told to all of us from a very patriotic standpoint. And, um, and and so to to skip over different aspects of the challenges of our history. Matter of fact, what's beautiful about the Bible is the Bible tells truth about history. It didn't paint David and Saul and Solomon and Jeroboam, Abraham, different people out to be perfect. You know, it told the truth about their history, um, about their 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 anointing, their height, everything, and then their their lows, and all of those were lessons to learn from. I think that when you have an institution like slavery that lasted 253 years in the country and you go through a history manual and it's only, I mean, a a history book, it's only like three, four pages on not only Black history, but Black history is focused on slavery. And then slavery is only told in a few pages. When it's the foundational story of how America was formed, I just think it does us a disservice. And I believe that's why people can deny racism because of the way we're educated. So I think number one, people need to be, people need to be aware. And this is not to, to say that every white person's racist. We Nobody's calling every white person racist. <laughs> you know, the issue with racism is we talking about it's a system. It's not to condemn you. It's about the system that's set up. And if you believe in sin, you should believe in systemic something. Um, but not only that, um, you got to acknowledge. So once you are aware, acknowledge, you know, That there have been issues. You got to begin to say, you know what? There are issues. There have been issues, and it continues to be issues, and they are deep seated issues. But then I think be accountable. And so that means holding one another accountable to being a prophetic voice to it. And so, and I know, and I know, I know for you asked about white pastors. I know some white pastors who have, and this is tough. It's really, really tough um, because I know of a pastor in a certain part of the country. I don't want to say what part of the country he 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 in a godly way began to communicate to his upper class white church some of the challenges of racism in his country. He it church was 800 it went from 800 to 250 people in a week, you know. Um and and then they had to sell their building uh and, and then move into a school. And so um you know and so 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 you know th- there's a cost to it for some And so I think they have to count the cost. You know, if you're going to speak into this issue, you got to count the cost um, and lovingly communicate it um, to um, your congregation where they are and help shepherd them through it. But then uh, finally, I would encourage people to be active. In other words, it's not enough to be aware. You know, it's not enough to acknowledge. It's not enough to just say something about it. There's also being active. And so active can look like a few things, you know. Uh, being honest about you know it's a book out there on blacks in the bible and so that you can as you do your exegesis and talk about scripture somebody said "Well, the bible is not about ethnicity uh, it's not about ethnicity but it sure talks about tribes and nationalities from genesis to revelation a whole lot and i was taught in my hermeneutics class that if something's repetitive there's something going on in the text so um so god doesn't deny nationality and ethnicity he affirms it and wants to redeem it for his glory and that's why he wants all tribes and nations. He says that's, he could have just said, I want, I want, I want, you know, I just want people saved. He, no, he said every tribe, nation and tongue. That's for a purpose um, because God wanted, wants heaven um, to be a, a reflection and a kaleidoscope and a mosaic of the glorious picture that he wanted in the beginning when Adam and Eve were called to pervade the earth with God, look Jesus, I mean, with God lookalikes. And so, so th- those are just a few things that I would encourage people with.
1: Eric, I want to dig into that a little bit more, uh, especially into the uh, idea of black dignity, dignity, because I think there is something about like the nation of Islam that uh, tapped into that desire for black dignity. Uh, but there are those yeah. who maybe maybe don't quite understand that, and so they easily lump in black dignity with like maybe black nationalist groups. Um, and um, it can help us, to, can
0: you help those who, who are kind of sorting through this? Yeah so I think dignity is restorative right and so um that that's that's just a biblical idea that's James too you know you know um the, the, the doctrine of partiality versus impartiality so I, I think that that's superlatively important to have a dignity restoration right where we're affirming that something you know we're born with dignity image of god imago dei type stuff right genesis uh, chapter uh, 1 uh 20 uh, 6 through 28 that's that's the that's the normal beautiful dignity that every human being should have of value in creation however nationalism all nationalism isn't bad um i think that there is nationalism that's bad in the sense of where it's wants to subjugate other people groups want to I come mean, any type of nationalism that's uh that subjugates other ethnicities tribes or groups uh, 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 un, under them that that that's that's not a biblical idea that goes against dignity um right um however um uh, uh and paul uh, you know paul would have an issue with that as well you jesus would have an issue with that as well and so I, I think you know it's nothing wrong with having a value of your ethnicity and your nationality paul did he said you know he talks in, about, in romans about being a he, about his hebrew lineage and uh, he talks about it in Philippians chapter two about his Hebrew lineage. He affirms that, and so we don't have an issue with that. I think when we talk black nationalism, we talking about the, black. There's a difference between black nationalism and black radicalism. And so when you when you look at black nationalism, it, for the most part, it's 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 a guy named um, Edward Blyden and uh, Alexander Crummer, Crummel, who were black um, uh, pastors in the, the 1800s to the early 1900s. Um, we're trying to develop uh, Pan-Africanism and so uh, and, and fundamentally spread the gospel among the diaspora of global blacks. And so a lot of nationalism for us comes out of that. But then you have after that later, Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey was a black nationalist, but really that black na- his his form of black nationalism was just um, for blacks to be able to have their own state in Liberia and just be able to, us to be able to develop our own economic system, have our own nation and that kind of thing. However, when you go to the nation in Islam, it's a little bit different. It's more so that their doctrine is surrounded by, fundamentally by saying the white man is the devil. That's that's different than just saying, we want separation, like Asians, like, like you going to Chinatown, right? You're going to Chinatown in, in a city. Uh, it, it's dedicated to allowing Chinese people in that particular group of part of the city to develop their own eco- economy and to flourish, and it's a beautiful thing. Nothing wrong with it. Nobody gets mad at Chinatown. You know what I'm saying? Um, we we enjoy it. We go to Chinatown, experience the culture, uh, but we affirm the beauty of them developing their own economic system. And so I would say, I would say, let you know, nationalism in and of itself isn't bad unless it's 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 it's, it's radicalism, because um, radicalism then. It's something totally different. Um but you mentioned Woke Church your your book which which again when you wrote that book
2: it was uh it was published by BNH publishing of Lifeway so you know it's this is not exactly a I know, uh, Moody Moody Moody. Oh that was I thought it was okay it's Moody it was by Moody okay I'm on Moody radio yep. okay. So um <laughs> thank you. Um so um so when you when when you had those conversations around um around Woke Church and you saw sort of the backlash that that came you did this before this is before the murder of George Floyd Uh, you spoke at my church um on in January of right before COVID and then the world all changed but also issues of race change and now woke is a word Well, first tell us a little bit about the the word how you used it in the book and what it might point to for the future after the backlash
0: Yeah. so I think um I think that the word that we've used for years in the black community is conscious and really conscious just means just awareness of the issues that surround black people in the country and not being duped by any type of um, injustice, right? Or selling out kind of thing. Is he a conscious brother? Is she a conscious sister, right? That's what that meant. Woke became a word that was another, was a term, and conscious is something that W.E.B. Du Bois talked about a hundred years ago in the souls of black folk, but um, you know, woke now, uh, what woke then was just being conscious, just being aware. And I saw it as a redemptive term that we as Christians can use because the Bible says, awake, sleep arise from the day, and Christ will shine upon you. And so for me, uh, woke, of course, just meant being aware generally of the, the, the injustices and justice issues that surround uh, uh, Black people and trying to come out of it, being aware and not being in the matrix, if you will. But what happens with terms that or movements in the Black community, uh, no different than the civil rights movement, the far left will co-opt the terminology of black community, the Black community. And, and what they'll do is when they co-opt it and use it for their issue, the first time that the far right hears about it is not in the etymological uh, 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 foundation that, it came from with Black people, but they hear about it from the far left. So what what happens is when you hear a Black person saying a word that you're hearing the far left saying, you assume they're saying that, but they have co-opted the term and now it's introduced to the world more broadly. um, And then the right wing pounces on its current usage within that far left community. And we, 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 we do too much research to not do some study and know the difference between the two. And so when we talk about that, that that's something that happens a lot. Even people, you ask different people about the civil rights movement, same thing with the civil rights movement. Should we be protesting and da-da-da-da-da-da? But it's like uh, uh, um, they co-opted, the, I mean, the, the far left co-opted everything about the, the the civil rights movement and used it for their issues. And so that's just something that we always need to be aware of
1: so do, do you think eric in especially in urban contexts, um do you think the word woke is still useful um and the reason why i ask that it's not so much about the the word that it connotes but it's it also feeds into all this other things that we'll talk about in a little bit here and that is um how, you know how do you how do you work more broadly with other groups and so um i i guess a big part of what you're getting at there is that uh, it was being redeemed. No, it no longer is looked at as that for by many people. So, is it still a useful term?
0: What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, if I'm saying that, um, if, if we're saying that around each other, you're saying that around black people and people in the urban context, like nobody looks at it like, you know, the far right. Like, no, no, <laughs> right. it, it's, it, 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 they just don't. Now, we do, we do talk. About it in our own circles. About when on the far left is losing their mind about something, and we're like, "Will we, we, we'll, will you?" It has a dual usage. So we'll call when it's just like if I say, "You you, you know a term that mean like in Philly we use the word Joan. John can be anything, right? That that that, that uh, she's a John I means she's beautiful, you know. Man, that's the John that means it tastes good, you know. It's it's contextual, but I know how I'm using it based on context with who I'm talking to. When it's a far left person, we say, man, they 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 too woke for their own good, right? Mm. But 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 then we'll be like, man, are you are you are you gonna be woke or what? You know, see the difference? And so for us, there's so much nuance and dexterity with language that it's just not the same thing, man. Yeah, for all that makes sense. Helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. So um, so
2: I, I think I think the um oh yeah, when when we think of these things here we are, you know, we're going to focus on apologetics, um, the a big part of it is, is knowing the lexicon, engaging the vernacular, um, you know, those kinds of things. So when you start doing apologetics, and, and again, just so everyone knows, the book we're talking about is Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. So what does it look like to do apologetics and evangelism in um, what pre- is your, in your setting is a predominantly uh, African American urban setting, what does it look
0: like there? Yeah, and so um, it's multifaceted because to do evangelism here, you have to minister to the whole person, period. You know, Titus 3, 14 says, let our people learn to meet pressing needs in order that they may not be found unfruitful. Right before that, it talks about God being a philanthropist. The the Greek word philanthropist is being used to talk about God's love for us, right? And how that poured out in his passion for us to engage him, to engage us, to save us, uh, through the regenerating power of believing in Jesus Christ. And so, and so um, in my, in my context, um, it's multifaceted. So you have to, you have to do word and deed, real simple word and deed, um, because you, because Philly and, and you know, and you know how the East coast can be East coast cities can be very untrusting when it comes to people that if you plant a church in the community, they think you after something, you know, what do you really want? You know? And so if, if, number one, it takes time. Number two, um, you have to view it as, oh, oh, I know that this is about church planting, but you can use this in relation to evangel- evangelism, one plants, one water, one as the growth. And seeing that whole 1 Corinthians 3, 6 philosophy of ministry as a part of that. And so that means you're building common ground, you know, Colossians 4. Uh, two through six, right? When you're building common ground with unbelievers, how do you build common ground? We built a playground next to us. We started a boxing league that has 300 kids. We work with the uh, local police with that. We um d- we did a basketball league. We do uh, an event outside called the Diamond Festival on Diamond Street. That has 3,000 people out. We do free haircuts, free clothing, Health screening, crisis pregnancy, where we're helping uh, people who are de- who want to uh, have an abortion, uh, give them other options. We partner with a group called Alpha Care for that, and so they bring their unit up, and it's beautiful. We have a uh, health screenings. Um, we 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 give away uh, thousands of pounds of fish. We fry it up and and, and give away water ice. It, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we we do those events. We do we have an after school program uh, because there's a sixty five percent literacy right here and so when you're looking at th- those type of events and now we're going into the economic development we're because our church is changing to being more middle class as well middle upper class we're now investing in a uh, financial uh, you know wealth building uh and, and, and not prosperity gospel but i'm talking about just wealth building managing your money and how to uh, get an annuity plan um for your life and so grown-up stuff and so it, it's so but all of those are used as platforms to help people on the natural level, but we're also sharing the gospel with them through those mechanisms. So as not to just walk the street, cold turkey kind of gospel presentation, which is nothing wrong with street preaching, nothing wrong with going around, going door to door. But really we wanna create a relational common ground to where as we're building relationship, it makes the gospel communication just way more natural.
1: Eric, what are some of the lessons you learned from planting Epiphany? And I'd love to hear you from two perspectives, one as a urban missionary, and then number two, your own
0: personal leadership development. What have you learned? So we've helped plant probably 50 churches um, from South Central LA uh, to Malawi, Africa. And um, one of the big lessons that you have to learn, you know, and I know uh, Ed would agree with this always, never stop planting your church. Um, Never ever stop planting your church i think i have his book that i use to write my perspectives it was blue back in the day you know um his book his book on church planning that was like my church planning bible um but um uh and and so and so that's one of the lessons because one of the things that you you and and saying never stop planning your church somebody says what does that mean um never take your eyes off of what it means to learn your context if we take our eyes off our context for a year we're in trouble Um, And so us personally, because our neighborhood changes too much. And so um, I I think that a lot of times the church uh, can be an ingrown toenail many times and not uh, really begin to develop a way to just flesh out connecting within it. Does your community know you're there? That type of thing. But then also um, utilizing every mechanism to cast your net as wide as possible. Um, I think that... um, if you're not doing technology now, you don't care about mission. I just, I don't care who you are. If you're not figuring out a way in our country, I know that there are third world places that's different. And even out there, they got cell phones, but I'm saying here, um, I think to really cast a broad net as a missionary, um, we have to develop, um, we have to develop a, a, a technological base that spreads our net as far as possible. Um, because that's been a big piece of, of uh, being an urban church planter because you you're in such a transient environment. Our Brooklyn church. Um, we planted a guy in, in, in Brooklyn. I mean, I can't tell you how transient. I mean, they're flourishing, you know. Tiffany Brooklyn is flourishing, but they, you know, superlatively transient. A guy in Delaware, though, he's not as transient. He has more long-term. Middle upper class people there, you know, and uh, people that are on the block kind of thing, and then you have our church in LA uh, that's in I'm going to say Compton that's in Crenshaw section of uh, uh, LA, and they're doing a great job. Superlatively multi ethnic church. He's gone through some transiency. and so one of the things that's helped them through that is constantly learning that who who, who's around them in order to engage them and reach them in a healthy way.
2: So, so when you um, you know, one of the things we try to make these podcasts broadly applicable because you'll have a rural, past, rural pastor in Montana, you'll have an urban pastor in uh, in Miami uh, and people around the world. So what are, but I think it'd be helpful for people to kind of go, go narrower or deeper for just a minute with you on what are some of the challenges to apologetics in the urban context particularly in the african-american urban t- context and then i'm going to ask you to follow up on that i'm going to ask you uh what might somebody who is maybe maybe not living in that context but encountering people and culture from that context so so yeah, yeah. again the, the book is urban apologetics restoring black dignity with the gospel so kind of go deep with us on what that looks like and
0: some few key issues i think the biggest obstacle is not not uh, it's us not treating apologetics like spiritual warfare it's spiritual warfare you know, the spirit explicitly says that later times, many will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And so fundamentally, if you think you, you, you're you just going to pull out, uh, you know, a Norman Geisler book, you know, or, you know, or, or, or what's your favorite apologist book? And then you're just going to do this quick Q&A. You're going to pull out I'm glad you asked answering the tough ones, whatever one you want to use. And then you're just going to you're just going to go in there and, and wax eloquent and you don't bathe it in prayer, even at times fasting. You really got to treat first off uh apologetics like spiritual warfare. And so I think that, that's that's a fundamental thing you have to do. Um, um, because I've been in situations where I got in the flesh and, and because I knew the answers, quote unquote. And so I was more about answering the question, but not reaching the soul. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so defending the faith is also reaching the person. So that's something that that's you know, that's second Timothy chapter two, verses 23 through the rest of the chapter. You know, we want to bring people to repentance with what we're doing, right? And so we want to bring them to Jesus, we want to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ by God's grace. You know, one of the challenges and the hurdles is really just people's, uh, uh, you know, just getting going to the hurdles, the that, that things that are obstacles for people to the gospel, and, and, and getting around them to actually get to the actual issue that they're dealing with, and being patient with that. So I'll give you an example. I've I've started doing like these reels, right? And they have been really, really effective. Some of them have gone kind of viral. Um, you know, almost uh, several of them, almost 20,0 views and stuff like that. And I'll give you an example. Like, I'll talk about, you know, um, I'll say, you know, one of the things with black it, 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 when I'm talking doing urban apologetics, every m- black people fundamentally do not trust white people. I'm just saying that, right? They just don't. So uh, that's like that's why it's easy to say Christian is a white man's religion. So what ends up happening is I put out a I put out a real saying that there's this book I don't have it over here. Oh, this is a book right? This is a new like fake translation of the Bible called the Sufferer, right? The he they, they got the book of like Jasher in it, like all of these weird mystical books in it, right? And uh <laughs> and so I, I did a thing because it's growing. I mean Hebrew Israelism is growing like wildfire. I mean it's it's growing really really. Uh, and if you don't know what Hebrew Israelism is, it's blacks believing the blacks who came over in the slave trade are the original hebrews right and that the jews who are Ashkenazi, whatever they're they're imposters that's kind of like the whole thing with kanye and all those different things so make a long story short i say so these are these this is how we got our canon i did a quick reel this is how we got our canon and 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 these are the and this is the way uh, we affirm, you know, whether it can, was it widely accepted, was it apostle or a prophet or someone that was a, a delegate or connection to him, you know, does it claim authority, all those different things. And so if you look at the comments, though, <laughs> and, and you can just hear like the hurdles, you know, you know, the Catholic Church, they the, at the at the Vatican, too, that's when they decided what, what was going to be in the Bible. The white people at the Council of Nicaea. those are, and so you get all of these, you like, and it's all of these like pseudo answers. But, but And so you're asking the question, what's the hurdle? The hurdle is looking at the spiritual challenge and the fundamental mindset of the cognitive dissonance. Getting around that is, I mean, it takes the Holy Spirit to get around that level of cognitive dissonance.
1: We've been talking with Dr. Eric Mason. You can learn more about him at epiphanyfellowship.org. And be sure to check out his book, uh, Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the gospel. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening!